Welcome to the Breadcom Kazan City Podcast. As we continue our series on prayer, we'll hear about the power of persistent prayer and what our manner and motivation for prayer should be. We are focusing our entire month on the theme of prayer which is one of the most vital elements of our relationship with God. Last week, we looked at the what of prayer. Elder Dabbs helped us see from the Lord's Prayer what we should pray. And today, Jesus is going to teach us the how and the why of prayer. Because if you're like me, just knowing what I should do doesn't mean that I'm actually going to do it. I need to know how to do it, and I need to know why to do it. That's what compels me to do what I should. And that is what Jesus speak to us this afternoon about. So I think, uh, I'm sorry, I don't have the text uh, on, the, um, on the PowerPoint. So if you have a Bible, please turn to me to, with, with me to Luke chapter 11. And even though Elder Dabbs uh, looked at verses 1 through 4 last week, I'm going to I'm going to start there because it's really one whole text on this theme of prayer. Okay, so I'm going to begin reading in verse 1, and we'll go through verse 13. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, give us each day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us, and lead us not into temptation. And he said to them, Which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, Do not bother me. The door is now shut. My children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. This is God's word. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this text that teaches us what to pray, how to pray, and why to pray. And it shows us your heart, your eagerness, your readiness to answer the the cries of your children when we call out to you in prayer. I pray, oh God, that you would show us your heart today and that you would move us to pray individually, privately, in our own homes, corporately, as a church, 
May we be moved to pray and receive the blessings of your Holy Spirit through it. We pray that you would speak to us today in that way. In Jesus' name, amen. How long can you hold your breath? You ever tried to do that? When I was a kid growing up uh, in the summers, going to the swimming pool, our friends would all, you know, have somebody has a stopwatch and you go underwater and you see how long you can hold your breath before, you know, you about pass out and then you pop back up. So how long can you hold your breath? Well, if you're like Agnes and, and most of us, you can hold your breath for about two minutes. Okay, so that's what they say, a, a normal healthy person can hold their breath for about two minutes. But with some training, okay, if you work really hard at it and you learn how to conserve your oxygen, you may even be able to hold your breath for 12 minutes and 15 seconds. Okay, Bronco Petrovic is the world record holder in uh, holding his breath. He's a, a, a free diver, is that what they call him? Habit? Okay. Abbott's a scuba diver, so this guy can go down about as long as Abbott with, uh, without a scuba tank. Okay, but if you, they found if you actually breathe pure oxygen for, for several minutes before you begin holding your breath, you can hold your breath even longer. And so this guy, Alex Sergia, held his breath for 24 minutes. Can you believe that, 24 minutes? That's like, you know, you watch a whole show on Netflix and this guy's still holding his breath. Like, that's incredible. Okay? But whether it's two minutes or 24 minutes, you cannot survive very long without taking a breath. Now, why all this talk about holding your breath? Well, it's because prayer has been described as the breath of the Christian life. Oswald Chambers said it this way. He said, prayer is the vital breath of the Christian. It's not the thing that makes him alive, but it's the evidence that he is alive. Okay, if you're alive and healthy, you're going to be breathing normally. And if, as a Christian, you have a vibrant, healthy relationship with God, then that will be evident in the way that you pray. Now, if that is true, if prayer is the breath of the Christian life, then why do we find it so hard to pray? I think one reason is because we fail to comprehend God's gracious and eager disposition to give us good things when we cry out to him. Rather than seeing God as a loving and attentive father who is eager to answer our prayers, we often see him more like a a supervisor or a manager who's sort of critically evaluating our prayers to make sure we have everything just right before he gives us what we ask for. And that inaccurate view of God is reinforced when we pray for something and we don't immediately receive it. And so we think, well, maybe God doesn't care or maybe I'm just praying the wrong thing. And we stop praying. But Jesus wants to correct our perspective here by showing us the Father's heart toward his needy children so that we're compelled to keep coming to him with our needs until he blesses us. He wants us to know that persistent prayer secures heavenly care. Okay? 
I know that rhymes and it's kind of cheesy, but you're going to remember it, all right? That's the point, okay? Persistent prayer secures heavenly care. And our passage uh, this afternoon is one of the most comprehensive texts in the Bible on prayer. In fact, as Elder Dab showed us last week, Jesus gives this teaching on prayer in response to his disciples asking him to pray, right? We read it just a few minutes ago. They see Jesus praying, and they come to him, and they say, Lord, teach us to pray. We want to learn how to pray. And so if there is ever any text in all the Bible that we need to understand to have a vibrant prayer life, surely it's this one, where Jesus is answering the question, Lord, teach us to pray. I want to pray. I want to be a man or woman of prayer. And the way Jesus responds is really insightful because he doesn't just tell them what to pray, but he also goes on to tell them how to pray and why to pray. And so we see in our text, Jesus gives them a model to pray, which is the Lord's Prayer that we looked at last week. Elder Dabbs so helpfully took us through that passage to understand the Lord's Prayer. And then today we're going to look at the manner in which we should pray, how to pray, and the motivation to pray, what Jesus tells us to compel us to pray. Okay, the why of prayer. And what we're going to see in our text is Jesus wants to teach us our Heavenly Father's eagerness to answer our prayers. And he does so by comparing, Jesus compares our Heavenly Father. He contrasts our Heavenly Father with a reluctant friend, with an earthly father, and then we see how much more our Heavenly Father is eager and ready to answer us when we cry out to him, okay? Persistent prayer secures heavenly care. Let's look at these together. Okay, first, Jesus teaches us the manner in which we should pray. Having told his disciples what to pray, now he teaches them how to pray. And to do that, Jesus tells a parable. And in that parable, he wants us to identify with each person in the story. Okay, so as we, as we walk through the parable, I want you to put yourself in the shoes of each person in the story. Because that's going to help us understand Jesus' heart in teaching us to pray. Okay, so here's the parable. A friend arrives unexpectedly to your house at midnight. Now, this may not have been that uncommon in this day because many people may have traveled at night because of the heat. Okay, so it's cooler at night. They can't just, you know, hop in their uh, Honda City and, you know, travel on down to Nazareth, right? So, uh, so people traveled at night sometimes, or sometimes journeys took longer than they expected. So this wouldn't have been too uncommon. Nonetheless, somebody arrives at your door, they're a friend, they're unexpected, and in that culture, hospitality was of utmost importance. Now, living here in the Philippines has taught me much about hospitality. Okay, it's, 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 it's greater than it is in the U.S., but in that day, I think even greater than it is here. I mean, it, it, was, it would be disgraceful not to welcome somebody into your home. And so he does. So 
his, his friend comes to the door. He welcomes him in and gives him some water to wash his feet. And he says, you must be hungry. You've been traveling so long. Let me get something for you to eat and drink. So uh, you go into, the other, into your kitchen and to your bread box, and you look and, oi, what long did I buy? There's no bread. And you think, oh, no, what am I going to do? My friend, I have nothing to set before him. But then you think, and you remember, there was a sweet smell of pandasal coming from my neighbor's house earlier today. Okay? And so you think, he has bread. I'll go get some from him. So you go over to uh, your neighbor's house, even though it's midnight. Okay? It's, it's in the middle of the night. It's midnight. But you have to have something to give your friend, right? And so you go to your neighbor's door and you begin knocking. All right, now switch to the person in the house, all right? Your neighbor who's in the house, who's asleep or was asleep, okay? So uh, you're suddenly awakened in the middle of the night. You're comfortable, you're warm. Uh, your whole family is kind of sleeping around you. And you're awakened by your neighbor knocking on the door, asking for bread. <clears throat> How do you respond? You respond like the man in the text. Don't bother me. <laughs> don't bother me. Literally, don't cause me wearisome effort. Now, what's, what's the big deal about getting up and giving some bread? Well, because a house in those days, if Pastor Nomo was here, he could, he could uh, tell us exactly what it was like. It may have looked something like this if it was two stories. The, the bottom floor would have been where they kept the animals and storage. And then the, the top was sort of the living space. And if maybe they were, uh, had less resources, it may just be one room. It may just be a one-room home. Okay, so the point is they would have all, they, they didn't have bedrooms, okay, like we have, right? So the mom and dad didn't have their bedroom. The child... The children have their own bedrooms, okay? They were all sleeping together. It may have been cold. Uh, it may have been just that's the way they were, but they're all together in the same room. So for the man to get up and get some bread, it was he was going to have to step over his whole family, okay, wake them all up. He can't just flip on a light switch, right? So he's got to find an oil lamp, light it, uh, make his way down the steps without breaking his neck, and come over to the bread box, get some pandasal, go over to the door, unbolt it. I don't know how many bolts it had on it, and give his friend some bread. And then he's got to go do it all in reverse, right? Back up, put the lamp out, step over his family, and then get back in bed. And so the man says, don't bother me. I can't get up and give you anything. That's what you say. I can't get up and give you anything. But that's not true. You can, but you won't. Why? Because the, the cost is too much. Okay? The cost is too much. The, the cost benefit is not in your favor, right? Uh, all the wearisome effort that it will take for you to get up and give your friend some bread is not worth the effort of giving your friend some bread, right? And so I can't get up and give you anything. Now, switch back to the man at the door. Yeah, you just heard him say, don't bother me, go away, I can't get up and give you anything. 
what are you going to do? You don't have anywhere else to go. And you know your neighbor has Pondesol. You know he does. You smelled it earlier, right? It's in the house. So what are you going to do? You don't have anywhere else to go. You have to get your friend something uh, to eat. And so you begin knocking a little bit louder. Okay? You begin raising your voice. Give me some Pondesol. I don't have anywhere else to go. My neighbor needs, my friend, he needs something to eat. And so you continue to bang on the door. You begin raising your voice, thinking, I'm desperate. I don't have anywhere else to go. Now, back to the man in the house. What are you going to do? Yeah, you, you hear your friend out there getting louder. He's starting to bang on the door. Now your family's starting to wake up. <clears throat> well, when you finally conclude that he's not going away until he gets his pandasal, then you're going to get up and you're going to give him as much as he wants. Why? And this is Jesus' point in the parable. Why? What, what will compel you to get up and give him what he needs? Well, in the text, there's this little Greek particle that we, we can't see. Gamma, epsilon, gay. And it's hard to translate into English because really it just indicates a comparison between two things of lesser and greater value. And the comparison is the reason why the man finally gets up and gives his friend bread. Okay? And so the text says, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend. Now that's the greater reason, right? He should get up and give him bread because that's his friend. His friend needs him. His friend needs his help. He has resources. But even though he won't get up and give him bread because he's his friend, and here's that little particle, yay, yet, at least, at least, because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And that's the lesser reason. He just is tired of getting bothered. But that ultimately is going to get him out of bed. Now, what does that word impudence mean? We, I have never used that word in my whole life. Okay, I don't know about you, but uh, I had to look that one up in the dictionary. What does that mean? It's not just uncommon in English. Okay, it's uncommon in Greek because it's the only place in the whole New Testament where the word is used. Okay, and it's a little Greek word. Uh, Anadea, okay, and it's it's made of two words. The first one is a, which means without, and idos, which means reverence or modesty. It's actually that one is used multiple times in the New Testament. It, it describes how a woman should dress modestly, appropriately, and it describes how we're supposed to come to God and worship with reverence. So the word literally means without reverence, okay? Or you could translate it shameless, audacious, having a reckless disregard for what is proper, okay? That is what the man knocking on the door is doing, okay? He's shameless. He's desperate. He has to have bread for his friend, and so he audaciously continues to knock at the door until his friend gets up and gives him bread. And so that's why in other, other translations, you see that word a little more fully. The ESV, ESV says impudent, which means without respect. The NIV says shameless 
audacity. The CSB, shameless boldness. NASB, persistence, because that's the expression. Ultimately, he will not go away. Uh, and then the New Living Translation, shameless persistence. The man, here, here's, here's what Jesus is getting at. This is what Jesus wants us to feel. The man is so desperate to get some bread for his friend that he will shamelessly keep knocking on his door, causing him wearisome effort, making him wake up his whole family until he gets what he needs because he knows that there is no one else that can give it to him. And that is how Jesus says you should pray. With that shameless audacity, you keep coming and you keep coming and you keep coming until God gives you what you need, okay? Because persistent prayer secures heavenly care, okay? And just in case we miss it, you know, sometimes Jesus gives a parable and he doesn't actually tell the point of the parable. He leaves that for the people to figure it out. Well, this time Jesus tells exactly what he means. And so he says, I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open to you. But what we don't see is clearly in, in the ESV is that each of these verbs in Greek is in present tense, which means continuous action. So really, the, the sense of what Jesus is saying is probably better rendered by the New Living Translation, which says, keep on asking and you will receive. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking and the door will be open to you. Why? Because everyone who keeps on asking receives. Everyone who keeps on seeking finds. Everyone who keeps on knocking to him, the door will be opened. You see, Jesus wants to compare this reluctant friend to our Heavenly Father. The reluctant friend, he should get up and give him something because he's his friend, but he won't. But because the man keeps coming, knocking, I will not go away until I get what I need, how much more will your heavenly Father give you what you need? How much more will your heavenly Father? Even a reluctant friend will get up if, he, if you keep coming to him. How much more will your heavenly Father? So let me just pause there and just ask us, is this how you pray? Is this how you pray? Do you really believe that only your heavenly Father can meet your needs? And therefore, you boldly and shamelessly continue to come to him until he gives you what you need. Asking him to provide for you that job opportunity that you know would be so good for you and for your family. Uh, the financial needs that you have because things have have not gone well this past year and you're not sure how you're gonna pay rent or your, or your mortgage or for healing because you've gotten some kind of bad diagnosis or someone in your family has. Uh, for breakthroughs because you just can't seem to get out of this addiction. Keep on asking, keep on seeking his guidance for a career change that may be coming up and you think this, office environments, and this is not a good place for me. Should I change careers? Or 
a strained relationship, how to be reconciled to somebody in your family or to a friend, or a big decision that may involve moving or, uh, or some other significant thing in your life, seeking his God. It's knocking for his nearness because you're in a season of discouragement. And, and you feel like God's presence is far away. Or you, you just have a, a time of spiritual dryness. You don't feel the, the nearness of the Lord like you did at one time. Or, or there are just so many issues and problems in your life right now that you're beginning to despair. Jesus says, keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking. The Father wants to give you what you need. Do you know that he's the only one who can give it? And are you continually coming to him as if there is nowhere else that you have to go? That is how Jesus wants his disciples to pray. Because persistent prayer secures heavenly care. Now, to help us do that, Jesus doesn't just say, this is how you should pray. But now he gives us a motivation to do that. He tells us why we should pray. So in teaching us how to pray, Jesus contrasts our Heavenly Father with that reluctant friend. Okay, if, if a reluctant friend will eventually get up and give you what you need when you keep coming to him, how much more will your Heavenly Father? And now he contrasts our Heavenly Father with an earthly father. And he does so by giving us two rhetorical questions and then another lesser to greater comparison. Okay, and so Jesus <clears throat> says, which of you earthly fathers, if his son asks him for a fish, will instead give him a serpent? Answer, nobody, right? None of you, no earthly father in this room, when their son asks for a fish, will give them, especially a snake like that, right? Okay. Or if he asks for an egg, we'll give him a scorpion. I used to play with those things when I was little, right? Little scorpions. <clears throat> Probably not wise. But uh, both of those are legitimate requests, right? Both of them are things that, that your son your, or your daughter, they need. Okay, They're good for them. And you, as a, as a father, would never give your child something that sort of looks like what they're asking for, but is harmful to them. You would never do that. Never. And then Jesus makes this lesser to greater comparison. And this is the way the argument works. If A, which is lesser, is true, then how much more will B, which is greater, also be true? That makes sense? Okay, if A is true and it's lesser, then how much more will B be true because it's greater? You with me? All right, well, let's actually look at it. Okay, so this is what Jesus says. Okay, if you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, that's the lesser, right? You earthly fathers, you're evil and you still know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more? Will the Heavenly Father give good gifts to those who ask Him? Now, to feel the force of what Jesus is trying to get across, 
I want to focus on that word evil just a little bit, okay? What does evil look like? We can define evil as profoundly wicked, immoral, malicious. Evil takes pleasure in the pain of others. And that is how Jesus describes you and me. Evil. Okay? Now, as much as we would like to deny that and say, I'm not evil. Evil? Really? Evil. That's too far, Jesus. That's too far. As much as we would like to deny it, we all know that that's true. Okay? There are times when you and I take pleasure in the pain of others. Okay? When we look at someone a certain way because we want them to feel that we are displeased with them. Or when we give somebody the cold shoulder because they haven't been treating us the way we want them to. And we want to, to punish them by our silence. Or when we half-jokingly make a sarcastic comment because we want it to sting a little bit. Because when we use uh, words that we know are going to hurt somebody's feeling because they just hurt us. That's, that's us. Sometimes we take pleasure in the pain of others. Okay? And yet, even you who are evil know how to give good gifts to little children. Right? And when you are all parents, some of you are parents, and when you are parents, okay, you're still evil. <laughs> and you'll give good gifts to your children. How much more will your heavenly Father, who is perfectly holy and just and loving, who is gracious and compassionate and slow to anger and abounding in love, and who is all wise and who knows exactly what you need. He knows what is good for you. How much more, if you who are evil can give good gifts, how much more will your heavenly Father? Would you ask your mom and dad for food if you were hungry? How much more should you ask for your, your heavenly Father to provide for your needs? Would you ask your mom and dad for counsel in making a big decision? Well, how much more? Should you ask your Heavenly Father for guidance and wisdom? Would you ask your mom or your dad for comfort when you're hurting? How much more should we ask our Heavenly Father to draw near to us when we're in pain? Persistent prayer secures heavenly care. And if you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Heavenly Father give good gifts to those who ask him. But that's not exactly what the text says, is it? Did you see that? Did you see what I did there? That's actually what Matthew's rendition of this account says. Okay? If you, are, you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Heavenly Father give good gifts to those who ask him? But that's not what Luke says. Luke says, how much more will your Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Now, what is Jesus talking about? What does that mean? Okay, What, what Luke wants us to understand 
is the greatest gift that our Heavenly Father can give us is Himself. It's Him. It's His presence with us, in us, near us, working in us, changing us, giving us everything that we need. So He wants us to know that every spiritual blessing that we inherit as a child of God comes to us by virtue of the Holy Spirit. Every new covenant blessing that we enjoy comes through the Holy Spirit. So what does it mean to pray for the Holy Spirit? Does that mean that this is just for non-believers? Does this mean that we can somehow lose the Holy Spirit and then get it back? Does this mean that there's some second blessing of the Holy Spirit, a second baptism of the Holy Spirit that we should be looking for? Without going into all of those, the short answer is no to all of those. Okay? No. Uh, But Luke wants us to see that everything good that God wants to give us comes through the Holy Spirit. So let me show you what I mean. The greatest gift, the Holy Spirit how did, what, is, what does the Holy Spirit do in us? Well, just a few passages that talk about the Holy Spirit's role in our life. The Holy Spirit, uh, believers are born of the Holy Spirit. Believers are washed and renewed by the Holy Spirit. Believers' eternal inheritance is sealed and guaranteed by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit testifies in our hearts that we're children of God when we're discouraged and we're not sure of, is God, does he love me? Is he near me? The Holy Spirit testifies and says, you're my child. The Holy Spirit gives us power to be Jesus's witnesses. The Holy Spirit enables you to speak God's word boldly. When you want to share with a coworker or a family member and you want to tell them about Christ and, and the gospel of grace, the Holy Spirit gives you power, gives you boldness to do that. The Holy Spirit puts to death the deeds of the flesh in us. He helps us become holy, okay? because he is holy. And the Holy Spirit is the source of everything you want to be and to experience in life. What do you want to be? What kind of person do you want to be? What do you want to experience? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, faithfulness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. Oh, that, that's, what, that's the kind of people that we want to be. That comes through the Holy Spirit. And so, <clears throat> Jesus wants us to see that in every situation we find ourselves, in every need we experience, in every weakness we feel, what we need most from our Heavenly Father at that moment already lives inside of you, okay? You simply need to ask him, okay? Confessing your weakness, turning from your self-reliance, asking the Holy Spirit to enable you to persevere in doing what pleases your Heavenly Father according to his power that is at work within you. Did you know that the very power that raised Jesus from the dead lives inside of you? That's what, that's what the scripture says, okay? He's able to do immeasurably more than all you can ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within you. That 
power, that same power that raised Jesus from the dead. That's the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> and even when the Lord says no or not yet to a specific prayer that we pray, you can be confident that the only reason he does that is because there is some greater fullness of the Holy Spirit that he wants you to experience. Paul prayed three times that the Lord would take away this thorn in his flesh. Do you remember that? He says, three times I pleaded with the Lord, take it away, take it away, take it away. Did he take it away? No. He says, Paul, I have something better for you than to be relieved from this pain. It's my grace, and my grace is sufficient. And that grace comes through the Holy Spirit who is living and at work in you. Persistent prayer secures heavenly care. As we look to our Father, our Heavenly Father, who loves to give the greatest gift, the Holy Spirit, to those who ask Him. So how do we put all of this into practice, okay? All that's great and awesome, and I hope it motivates us to pray. What do we do, okay? Um, I'm a practical person, so I'm going to give you some real practical things, all right? And just like every good campus outreach person, they all start with T. All right, three things to help you pray, all right? Number one, tools. If you want a, a vibrant, consistent prayer life, I'm convinced that you need tools to help you pray. Okay, for some people, that's a prayer journal where you write out, maybe you write out your prayers. Some people do that. Maybe you write specific things you're trusting God for in that prayer journal, and as you see them answered, you cross them off. Or maybe you write promises that you claim as you're praying, but some kind of journal uh, for prayer. Or it could be note cards, okay? That's, that's what I use. Uh, see my little prayer note cards, okay? They have some of your names on them. Uh, and I use these to pray every day. Or it could be a, an app. You know, there's an app for everything. There's an app for prayer. Uh, it's called Echo Prayer. Um, and so you can look that up. But the point is, tools help us do what we want to do. Use tools to help you pray consistently. The second is time, okay, or times. I'm also convinced that you'll never pray consistently and specifically unless you set aside a specific time and day in your day to do that, okay? A time and place. For me, that's the first thing in the morning. I, I, want, to, I want to spend some time in Bible study, but also prayer, not just in, my, not just in the Bible, but praying specifically for people, for things, for God's Holy Spirit. For others, that may be some other time during the day or at night, but the point is, prioritize it. Put it in your schedule. Schedule things around it if you really believe that what you need most is coming before your Heavenly Father to ask Him uh, to give you good gifts. And then lastly, triggers. Triggers, things that remind you to pray. Okay, that, that could be as simple as uh, an alarm on your watch or on your phone, something that pops up and reminds you to pray. But I would encourage you, and this is something I've been trying to do, to, to think about situational uh, circumstances that, that trigger you to pray, okay? So dads, maybe when you are coming home from work and you, uh, you turn into your barangay 
that can be a trigger to that, okay, I'm, I'm clocking out of my day job and I'm clocking in to my first job, which is to love and to lead my family. And Holy Spirit, I need your help to love and lead my family well uh, this evening. Okay, or maybe if you have a, a difficult coworker, then let the doorway of your office, when you cross the threshold of that entryway into your office, let that be a trigger to take a moment to pray. God, help me today to repay evil with kindness. Help me to love those who are hard to love. Okay, or if you struggle with overeating, then when, when the plate is set before you or when you bow your head to thank God for your food, let that be a moment to, to pray and say, Holy Spirit, I need self-control. Help me to only eat as much as, as I need. Okay, what, whatever it is, we can think of these triggers to help us to pray, to remind us of our need, to remind us of our weakness, and to remind us of God's eagerness to give us what we need when we ask him. Okay, tools, times, triggers can help us build consistency and specificity in our prayer life. <clears throat> so to summarize, okay, this is what Jesus is teaching us in this passage. Okay, he's given us a model to pray, the Lord's Prayer, which, which shows us what we should pray. He's giving us the manner to pray, persistently, shamelessly coming before the Lord until he gives us what we need, okay? Because he's greater than that reluctant friend who, who, if you keep coming to him, is going to give you what you need. How much more will your heavenly Father give you what you need? And then he gives, that he gives us the motivation to pray, okay? If a reluctant friend and an evil earthly father will give good gifts, how much more will your heavenly Father give the ultimate good gift? the Holy Spirit's power to work in us whenever we ask him. Persistent prayer secures heavenly care. I want to close uh, to this afternoon by contextualizing Jesus's parable for us, okay? By giving us a situation that we can probably all relate to. Because I want us to feel the Father's eagerness to answer our prayers, okay? So, <clears throat> put yourself in this situation. It's been a long day at work, okay? A long, hard day at work. You had so many meetings or you were so busy that you didn't even have a chance to eat your pancit for lunch, okay? And you're really hungry. You had pancit and lumpia and pork on a stick and all these good things. So, uh, and you, and you didn't have a chance to eat it because you're so busy, all right? So, on your way home, you, you see Jollibee and all you can think about is Chicken Joy, okay? And so you drive through Jollibee and you think, I'm going to get a big bucket of Chicken Joy and I'm going to get four cups of rice. And you know that you might not, you, might, you probably won't eat all of it, but just maybe, right? Okay, you're really hungry. It's been a long day. But as you drive home, your chicken joy right next to you in, in the car seat, you smell that chicken. You're really excited to get home. Okay, It's been a hard day, but you're happy now. 
So you stop at a traffic light, okay? Right before your home, just, just, to, just in front of you. Stop at a traffic light, a long traffic light. And as you wait, there's a small, poor, dirty, seven-year-old child that comes up to your window. Okay, disheveled hair, uh, no shoes, sort of a worn-out tank top. And that child begins to motion for food. Okay, give me some food. I need something to eat. Okay, but you're tired. You just want to get home, and so you ignore him. Okay, but then... The child, seeing that you're ignoring him, he puts his hand on the window like that, right? So he can see through that dark tent and look you in the eye, right? Okay? Uh, somehow he senses that you've got a big bucket of chicken joy, right, <laughs> in the front seat, okay? And he presses his hands up against the window, looks you in the eye. Now, that makes you feel awkward, right? That's kind of awkward. But... The light says 30 more seconds. Okay, you're counting down. It's like, all right, just 30 more seconds. But then he starts to bang on the window, right? Because he knows if you don't open up and give him something to eat, then he's going to go hungry. He's not going to have anything to eat tonight. And so he bangs on that window. Now, what are you going to do? Are you going to open up and give him some of your chicken joy, which is right beside you? Suppose when you look out that window, you realize that's not just any random child. That's your son or your daughter. That's your own flesh and blood. And he or she is hungry and needs something to eat. What are you going to do? Are you going to give him what he needs? Now suppose that you are our Heavenly Father. And when you look at that child, you see someone that you made in your image. You see someone that you have ordained every day of his life before you made the world. You see someone that you love so much that you sent your only son to become poor like him to be despised and rejected and unjustly nailed to a cross to pay for his sins so that he could be with you forever. What are you going to do? Are you going to give him what he needs? That little child is you. And our Heavenly Father is eager and ready to open up and to give you whatever you need when you ask him. Persistent prayer secures heavenly care. Thank you for listening to the Brett Comcas on City podcast. If you have any prayer concerns, feel free to send us a message at facebook.com slash City and join our worship service every Sunday, 4 p.m., at the 3rd Floor, West Avenue Suites, West Avenue, Kazan City.
Our theme music is provided for free by bandsound.com.